Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Uh, well, I am Amina, compulsive overeater and body obsessor. I say that because I'm always thinking I'm gaining weight and uh, I don't really weigh often when I go to the doctor maybe, but it turns out that I've stayed at the same weight now for a year. Uh, I've been abstinent for two years now, uh, but my story is long. So I'm figuring out how to compress it all because I'm 74 and I've been in program about 37 years. Um, I started out always was fat as a child. Uh, Sweets were everywhere. The swear word in my family from my grandmother was sugar. Uh, So that gave me an indication. Uh, I grew up with a pretty critical mom who, and nobody else were compulsive overeaters but me. So uh, she was not a very comforting person. She was pretty critical and prefer- preferred anger to fear. So she, I learned it really. She was not a person to go to when you're in pain. And, um, and I really hated my mother as a child. And I was a hateful child. I was a willful child. I was very opinionated. And that only got worse as I got older. <laughs> And I still struggle with that, those character defects. Um, I, I, my mom threatened me. She bribed me. You know, she tried everything to help me lose weight. But there were sweets everywhere in every drawer, every counter, every refrigerator and freezer. And we had a huge freezer in the garage. And she worked uh, and I was alone. I was my sister was 10 years older, so she was gone fairly early in life. So by 13, she got married and was off. And I had plenty of time on my own to be eating. And it was a comfort for me, for sure. Uh, I got psoriasis when I was nine. And so a lot of my life was also impacted by the fact that I had this skin condition. And we happened to grow up by Stanford Dermatology Clinic, which was the World Research Center. So I went to that clinic for 10 years and was really basically a specimen there. And um, it's a chronic thing. And basically it just got worse over the 10 years. It would get better, get worse, get better, get worse. And so I really took on that I was the failure, um, both because I couldn't lose weight. And I did lose weight when I was 13. My mom put me on diet pills and I lost weight for my sister's wedding. Uh, It didn't last. And um, my mom had mental health issues. Uh, and I understand that better now. She had chronic depression. She may have been bulimic. I'm not sure. I don't know how she could have all that stuff around. She had all that sweets around. And when she died, you know, she had sweets in every pocket and purse she owned. Uh, and she had a lot of those. So um, I, I really just couldn't, I couldn't stop myself with the eating. And I didn't realize until I read in the big book, that really what I had were blackouts, you know, from the eating. And so I promised myself I wasn't going to do something and then I would do it anyway. And um, I really thought of myself as a monster 
because of the fat and because of the skin condition, which I didn't see anybody that looked like me. Um, because of all of that, I really had an identity of being wrong and a failure, and I was very rebellious. I also was a hippie during the 60s and 70s, and that was another part of my adventure in life. Uh, at age 20 to 40, really during those ages, I was experimenting with different diets for health reasons, but never could really follow them because I'm a compulsive overeater, but I didn't know it. And so that just made me feel more like a failure. Um, there was a lot of stuff about psychosomatic and maybe if I just, you know, maybe it was in my head why I had it, that which we know that's not true now, because now you see advertisements for very expensive medications for psoriasis all the time on TV. So I, I know I'm definitely not alone now, but I didn't know it then. And I was the youngest person at the clinic that I went to at the time. Um, so I blame many other people for my unhappiness, especially my mother and God. I was really pissed off at God. I went to a faith healer once and he said, it's not that you don't believe in God, it's that you're really pissed off at God. And that was really true. So I lost trust in God, in others, and in myself. And my rages were just fueled by sugar. I thought I, it was my astrological sign that I had such a hot temper. And I would go from zero to 100. But I found out later on it was really the sugar that caused that for me. Uh, I was born a warrior. That's true. And I ended up getting a career as an advocate in the disability community. And... Um, so I'll talk about what got me here. My husband uh, and I smoked pot. In fact, I was not able to be sexual unless I was using pot or alcohol because I, I felt so ashamed of my body. And so um, eventually he, he, his behavior and our separation led me to Al-Anon and, um, and uh, I, then I was in another relationship with I had a daughter, which changed my life. I'm grateful for that marriage because I had a beautiful daughter that's a powerful influence in my life. And when she was born, it was the first time I had any positive feelings about my body. I couldn't believe that my body did that <laughs> all by itself. I was out on a mountainside with no electricity or running water and it went well. So I was in another relationship and he was an alcoholic and he challenged me. He said, I'll stop drinking if you'll stop overeating. And that's when I got a clue <laughs> that I couldn't stop overeating and that it might be something like alcoholism, my food addiction. And so I ended up at a women's all-step meeting where I met my first OA sponsor and heard about OA. The first meetings I went to, I binged after every meeting, uh, but she helped me to avoid convenience stores, to identify trigger foods. Um, she taught me how to throw away food. That was a shock. That was a new idea. She taught me to journal. She would stay on the phone with me. At first, I wouldn't journal, so she'd stay on the phone with me. She taught me to call her. I wouldn't call her. She'd call me in the beginning. She taught me about Lifeline magazine, and that was very powerful in my early recovery to, to read other people's stories all over the world because I felt so unnormal and it was so great 
to get the concept and plus to see all the ways people did the program because I never had the same spiritual path as my sponsor. I didn't have the same food plan as my sponsor. And um, I've had several food plans over the years, which have all given me abstinence when I followed them. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and when I was working the program well. Um, but I've also had periods of time throughout the years where I was not abstinent. And um, I think part of that was I, I, I only went to one meeting for most of those years. I worked, I was a single parent, I had chronic illness to deal with, and I never made it first. And so I would have periods of abstinence and periods without abstinence. But one thing was, and I know this is higher power working in my life, was I never quit going to meetings. I always went to meetings. I went to that meeting regularly. I switched from one meeting to another. Um, when I lost my sponsor, I found another sponsor at another meeting. Again, I knew it was God working in my life. Um, at that point, I've, I've called God she, I've called God God, I've called God Allah, I've called God he, I've called God the universe, it didn't matter, the higher power still responded to me, doesn't seem to care what I call it. Um, so I'm grateful about that. And I could tell because it got me up for a Saturday morning meeting. And I hate to get up in the morning at nine o'clock. <laughs> and when I worked, it was the one time I could sleep late, but I got up, God woke me up and told me to go to that meeting. And it was right at the time where in Phoenix, they were, you know, there was how meetings and there were um, metro meetings and they were just combining at that point that I started going to that Saturday meeting. And there were some people with very strong recovery that were part of pulling those two groups together. And I had gone to that meeting years before when it was a how meeting and I left and never went back. But God told me to go to that meeting and woke me up every Saturday morning for 20 years to go to that meeting. Uh, so I, um, I learned that I had to have the hard feelings before I could go to my Buddha preferred attitude of peacefulness and all peace and love. Um, I did jobs throughout, always did service. I was the um, treasurer. I carried literature. In the very first meeting, they gave me a job to carry fizzy water and I, that kept me coming back when I was crying and binging after every meeting. Um, I've sponsored for many years, um, and uh, let's see. So my weight yo-yoed. My my top weight was around 180 pounds, and um, I'm I was five three at the time. I've since lost a few inches, and I'm like five ten and a half. Um, my weight right now is around 135 pounds. I haven't weighed recently. Um, I've been stable now for the first time. This is the longest ever. I'd get down to 140 a couple of times, but never stayed there longer than days, literally days. I, I, it's so weird. And when you're abstinent, you say, why would I ever give this up? But you know, that's because we have a disease. <laughs> we have a disease. And because I, I've learned that I need more than one meeting a week because I have amnesia. If I go longer than a couple of days, I forget how this works. It's, I, it's part of how the disease works in me. So how I can stay absent is I have to go to meetings. And um, 
Most of the time I was between 150 and 160 and I was happy with that. I was happy. I felt like OA was kind of like a bumper car. It didn't let me stray too far off the rails. Um, and so, but I wasn't, I realized now I wasn't willing to go to any length. I wasn't willing to make it first. Um, I had, I was a single parent. Like I said, I had a job. I, I ended up having a career working in the disability community because of my experiences with, uh, I also got arthritis when I was in my twenties, very bad. My baby could crawl faster than I could walk. I, I've had health issues my whole life. I've worked through pain my whole life. I got up every morning with pain in my life. And all I knew was how to push through pain. Um, but I didn't know I didn't know how to make OA a priority and I didn't know what difference it would make in my life to have it until I retired and had time to go to more than one meeting and actually COVID and Zooms. And then I could go to meetings every day. And uh, I did lose my abstinence a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe three, four years ago, I guess it would be my sponsor died suddenly. And she was in my life in every way, as an advocate in the disability community, as a best friend. We co-sponsored each other eventually. She had a disability. She was a polio survivor and a chair user. Um, and she got hit by a car and uh, crossing the street and died suddenly, although she was quite old. And really, at first, I didn't realize how much grief I was in because she was going to die. Anyway, and we talked about it and she didn't like that she was getting progressively more and more disabled. Um, so I didn't even realize how much grief I was in. And I eventually lost my abstinence and got back into the sugar. And um, uh, I continued to go to meetings, but it took a while. I realized I had to stop sponsoring. I had to say I was in relapse. And so I was in relapse for a couple of years until I went to a relapse meeting. Uh, and, uh, and, and when I realized once I named it, what was happening, then I found there was a workshop that LA put on and there were over 400 people and that blew my mind. And they were from all over the world on zoom. Five was, minutes left. Thank you. It was so great. Uh, misery loves company. I love knowing there were that many overeaters everywhere. I felt so normal. It was like, okay, this is what, where I'm at. And he said, you got to put the food down before you figure it out. And so I started to put the food down. I figured out a plan. I started going to more meetings um, almost every day and asking, um, asking about sponsoring. I was afraid. I've always been afraid that people are going to ask me to do what I can't do because I'll tell you, some of the treatments I did at Stanford Dermatology Clinic were awful, awful, awful things. and. I've always been afraid of that, but somehow uh, I, I, I found a speaker's meeting on Friday, and at that meeting, I talked to a couple people. They gave me some ideas about what to be doing. They said, I don't know if I'll work out to be your sponsor, but I found my meeting, my sponsor at that speaker's meeting. And when she spoke, she talked about grief, and she talked about living with cancer, uh, or through cancer. And I thought, okay, here's somebody that can relate to my issues. And I, I really didn't know what foreshadowing it was because I ended up getting melanoma over this last couple of years and getting a terrible compression fracture in my back. And, and her disability, she ended up getting another disability, but 
we've been together a couple of years and that's been a real good part of my absence because she helped me figure out a food plan that fits my lifestyle. I'm up late at night. I don't get up till late in the morning and uh, night eating was a problem for me. So night eating, I, there, there's a meal at night now that's late at night, 10 at night, maybe 11, sometimes midnight. And then I don't eat again the next day till maybe anywhere between 10 and three in the afternoon, depending upon when I get up. And um, that's worked really well for me. Um, so let's see, I know I'm running out of time. Uh, what I, I'm grateful, I can see now that I'm so grateful for that I kept coming back. I do journaling. I, in fact, my home meeting is a Saturday morning journaling meeting where we've journaled through the 12 and 12. Uh, we're on our third time around now. We've journaled through other books as well. <clears throat> uh, so I've worked the steps several times. I text with my sponsor, um, uh, not every day, um, but we talk uh, hopefully every week or every other week and we text periodically. Um, it's usually over food, emotions, or health issues in crisis. Sometimes my husband, he has health issues and coping with that. That was something my previous sponsor really helped me with. I, I got married when I was, well, I met my husband when I was 50, and we've been married now for 20 years, but I went in kicking and screaming, <laughs> and it was really hard to be married for us in the beginning. Um, I'm no longer afraid of death and I've faced it. And, uh, you know, I'm 74 and I know it's around the corner at some point now in reality. And I still don't know what happens when I die, but I've seen how my higher power has guided me, not only this last two years of abstinence, but really through my whole life, all the wonderful teachers and helpers and healers that I found when I went from a place of hopelessness when I didn't think anybody could help me and I didn't know anybody who could help me. And uh, I went an alternative route for most of my health care um, and uh, helping me, you know, when I look back going to those Saturday meetings all that time and never leaving, even when I wasn't abstinent. Um, I'm a long way from that child who felt abandoned by the universe with no help available. Uh, I've learned that my abstinence really is more about surrendering than my food plan. Um, it's part of my action plan. I have to do that every day. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, I do it as soon as I remember to do it, whether I'm in the car or wherever I am. I now pray every day to ask for my higher power to give me the willingness and ability to be abstinent and to eat in a healthy way. And um, I started out a very angry person, uh, feeling very unlovable. I'm still a perfectionist. I'm still controlling. And that's why I can't get too focused on the food. Uh, I, 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 have, I know what trigger foods are. I've learned if I get them, just get one serving and get out. Uh, I know that's, that's playing with danger, but it's just, it's the kind of person that I am. And uh, what's grateful, I'm grateful for, thank you, I heard that, is that, um, that I have a higher power that I know that will help me through everything, including death and the transition that is included with that. And that I'm not alone. You know, I've got all of you. 
And so I know I can face anything now. I really do know that. And I'm full of gratitude about it. Uh, I, I can see divine intervention in my life in a million ways. And I live in gratitude. No pass. That's it. Uh, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you ask a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Do you want me to call on people, Amina, or do you want to? Oh, um, yeah. Will you call on people? That'd yes. be good. Bob. Thank you. Yes. Hi, I'm Bob, compulsive overeater, recreational sugar addict. Um, thank you for a wonderful share. What is service meant to your program? Thank you. Well, service is what really helps me keep coming back. And, um, and so, you know, like I said, I've done all kinds of jobs. I'm the contact person for a Saturday morning. I've been treasurer before. I just took over treasuring for one of my other meetings, um, reading the formats, uh, attending and sharing, I think is also service sponsoring. And uh, I think actually being a sponsee is also a service. Um, I learn a lot from my sponsees. I just started sponsoring again, uh, maybe six months ago. I can't remember exactly. And uh, now I have two sponsees and with Zoom, one is in, I live in Arizona, one is in Colorado and one is in England. <laughs> Who knew? I'm going to talk to her on Zoom this afternoon. Um, and uh, so, yeah, is that is that helpful? Thank you. Yeah, it's. I think it's very important. If you're worried about not coming back, do service. Also, sponsoring keeps you honest, you know, keeps you honest. Any other questions? I will ask you a question. This is Deb. Thank you for okay. your beautiful share. Can you talk about how your, um, you know, food plan absence has changed throughout the years? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So um, it's been most of the time it's been three meals and um, and and uh, some of those times it's been with a snack. And um, I've been I was vegetarian for 14 years and then I stopped being vegetarian for about 20 years based on a health recommendation. And now I've been vegetarian again for another five years and mostly vegan, mostly avoiding. There's been uh, times I went to Italy and never ate any milk products or sugar. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. I can't even believe I did that. Even when I look back on it, spent three weeks there. I remember I went and ordered a pizza and salad, but pizza with no cheese on it. And they brought me the pizza with salad on the pizza. And I was embarrassed. I thought that they didn't understand. But then I saw other in Italy people do that. <laughs> um, so uh, sometimes it's been just a plate, you know, one serving, whatever fills a plate up. 
Um, I've never been a weighing and measuring person. I tried that. That doesn't, I, I've never done that. Sometimes I have, um, I have, I've never really sent my food in ahead of time like a lot of people, but what I have done, and when I get off the rails at all, I will start sending what I did eat to my sponsor for uh, helping me be honest and be visual about what I'm doing. Um, and so right now, my, my uh, like I said, I'm, I'm really having, I was having trouble getting off cheese. Again, surprisingly, I called my sponsor and talked to her about it. She had some great solutions because she doesn't eat milk products either. And that was really helpful. And she said something to me that was the sweetest thing ever, which was, um, you know, to count myself first, that I'm worth it, to know that I'm worth it, going to all that trouble. <laughs> because I was saying it's so convenient, you know, to grab a cheese. So. Uh, so sometimes it's been gluten-free. It's never been hundred percent bread-free, but I don't, I, I don't put things, I don't keep things in the house that are not good for me to have that are part of my eating habit. And I tell whoever I'm living with, which for a while was my daughter and my husband and my husband, you know, if you want it, get it yourself and put it somewhere where I don't see it. I, I know some people keep stuff around and they're fine. I'm not like that. And I know I'm not like that. So, um, yeah, so now my meals are like, I have a meal, like I said, late in the day. And then, then we have dinner together, my husband and I, anywhere between four and seven, usually depending upon what's going on. And then I have a meal later in the evening. And, um, and that's when I take my nighttime pills and stuff like that. Thank you, Ellie. Mm -hmm. Hi, Amina. Thank Hi. you so much for your share. Um, I know you've said you've um, relapsed in several times and that you never left the program or, or meetings. Um, what do you think you will be doing differently now than you might have done before that will help you to continue to stay abstinent today? That's a great question. Well, one thing I am doing today that I didn't do before is I do that prayer that I told you about earlier. Uh, and I mean, I do it every day. So sometimes I might not remember till later in the day. I don't, but I try to do it first thing in the morning. Or if I wake up in the middle of the night, I do it again, which I often do wake up in the middle of the night. And also, I like to list off my gratitudes that do other things when I'm doing that, that communion with my higher power. Um, for me, I, it's true that my higher power is everything and surrendering is everything. But quite frankly, meetings are the bottom line for me because I've learned that about myself. I have to keep going to meetings all the time because my mind, I can't trust what it will say. It will say, I can do this. And I can't. And it, I've watched it. I've, I've done a thousand scientific experiments. They've all turned out the same. <laughs> so um, I can eat a little bit of sugar and it's dangerous for me to do it. And it plays with fire if I do it. But 
that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is that I'm surrendering. In fact, my name, I changed my name maybe 15 years ago. I asked my spiritual teacher for a name that would help me remember every day what that I'm in service to God. And that's what Amina means. It means prayer, prayer in action is what I like to think of it as. And that's the name I use. I, it's not my legal name. My legal name is Donna. Um, so, uh, and every time I hear it, it reminds me and I love hearing it. Thank you. <laughs> Frank. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Amina. What a beautiful share. And thanks for all your uh, insight and wisdom. I, this may seem like a silly question, but when you said it, it's an issue that um, I've had a little bit of challenge with lately uh, about the idea of um, throwing away food. And um, lately, you know, 95% of my meals I make for myself and manage them properly at home, and there's never any issue. But lately, I've had some visitors in town for a few weeks, and we're going out a lot. And, you know, typically when you go to restaurants, the portions, uh, in many cases are a little larger than I might normally eat. And I have the challenge of just throwing it away. I mean, I've spent a lot of money on that dinner I don't, and I'm not good at leftovers. So I tend to eat that. And it, lately it's shown up in the weight a little bit. So a uh, little concerned about that. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts about the throwing away food and what you were taught. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love that question because my first sponsor taught me early on to throw away food and she would stay on the phone while I did it. And she would make sure I went out to the dumpster because she knew if it was in the garbage, that wasn't good enough. And um, when I came back into abstinence, I was on my Tuesday meeting and talking about it. And I, and I, and I did it right then. They waited with me on the meeting while I went and threw away what was left in the house. And I recently went out to dinner with my husband um, and you're right, the portion was huge. You know, I took half of it home. I do eat leftovers. And that was my meal the next day, including I took, they it was all the salad you could eat. So I took that too. Um, I'm a clean my plate person and still am. So like breakfast is not a problem for me. I eat my breakfast. It's nothing thrilling, but it works. I'm always amazed I'm full. It doesn't take that much to make me full anymore. I'm always like thrilled by that idea. Dinner, I don't notice it. You know, my my uh, taste buds are all tricked up. And so I have to eat my what's my meal and get up and walk away. So now I'm on just like my grandmother, you know, I get up and start picking up my plates and stuff. My husband eats slower than me, but I have to do that because I notice within a few minutes, I notice I'm plenty full and but i don't notice it right away and so i have to get up and remove myself and for my evening meal a lot of times i do that in front of the tv still we've tried to break that i haven't but what i do do is get the serving somewhere else and take that serving with me uh like in the kitchen you know what i mean so that i'm not just like eating out of a bag or doing anything like that and that all has helped me uh, cuz i still am a clean my plate you know completely clean. Um, and I used to be so bad that my I'd learned to just order when I went with my daughter what she got because otherwise I would eat off her plate always. So I was that kind I'm that kind of an eater. So I'm still not good, but it is a thrill to learn that you can throw away food. I encourage you, Frank, to do it on purpose. It's really exciting to do it. It's such freedom. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Ansley? Ainsley? Ainsley. Yeah. Hey. 
Thank you for your share. Uh, I just, uh, I wanted to ask if you have any sort of ritual, like uh, meditation or prayer that you do every morning. I know you mentioned one prayer, but if there's anything else. Yes, I definitely have prayer practices. I'm not much of a sit still meditation person. So I do a lot of singing and sacred movement for a lot of my practices. Um, but I also do do meditation, but they tend to be more uh, group meditations. But yes, I do. I have a couple spiritual paths that I follow that give me meditation practices to do. And I have prayers that I've found that I just love that remind me of all the things I want to remember and all the things I want to pray for that I've memorized and really concentrated on uh, sometimes one prayer for two years in depth to really grab that. So that's a big part of my life. I Something that's changed for me is I like to learn hard things. And in, since I've retired, I've gone through a death doula training and a training to be a minister in one of my spiritual paths. Uh, so that is a big part of my day. But early on, my, one of my early uh, teachers I tended to be awake at night a lot in the middle of the night. And she that she taught me to do that during that time, because during the day, once I'm going, I'm a go, go, go girl. <laughs> I'm learning how to relax. I was good at rest. I was good at work and I was really good at play, but I was not good at resting and relaxing. And I'm, I'm learning how to do that now and get more spaciousness in my life. So, yeah. That's it. I do mantras. That's that's a good one for me. And singing is a good prayer practice. Yeah. Uh, Islam. Yeah. Hi. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, the, the the great share. So, uh, like, I'm but I'm maybe six months in the program, and I wanted to ask you about the struggle between thinking that it's about uh, the uh, like recovery from overeating or it's weight loss you know your mind always or our minds always shift us to the weight loss idea and how we need lose weight uh, and each time i think this way i just get relapsed so i'm absent like for one month now and trying always to not think about uh, weight loss at all trying to not weigh myself so how to keep this how to to keep this idea away and 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 do not think a lot about weight loss oh, thank you uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't have a scale. And if you've got one, I recommend you throw it away. <laughs> I, I One of my OA friends, even when she goes to the doctor, she stands backward on the scale and she asks them not to tell her. Um, <laughs> that's the times I check in for a reality check is when I go to a doctor and they weigh me. That's kind of my reality check. But my clothes are my reality check. And it's happened now. Uh, several times during this two years of absence where I was sure that I'd gained weight and I hadn't or I'd even lost weight. And it just now I really laugh at myself. I get it how distorted my perception is. It, it happened again recently. I was pretty sure. So I put on my, the pants that I knew that would be the tightest. And they were fine. They were com very comfortable. So it, it is an obsession. Just it's part of the compulsion. It is. And I, I, I personally, I would never recommend for anybody to have a scale in their house. It just makes you crazy. It's That's easier. Right. Yeah, just like food, it's easier 
uh, to not eat something if it's not in front of you or nearby. It's the same thing with the weighing. Yeah, it's 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 sad that it's like that for us, but we are like that. Thank you.